Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your word. We're grateful for the company we are in. We'd ask that you bless us and encourage us to be thinking of these things, to be edifying one another, to be building one another up in your Son. And in his name we pray. Amen. When I prayed, building one another up in God's Son, those are, I grew up in the church, and those, those, those words really go smoothly off the tongue. It's very easy to say, in Jesus' name, amen. But it's more important than that. You say, yeah, preach it, Evan. Well, no, more important in a way that actually affects each of our lives with the problems you have. Because let's just pretend for a moment that you have some problems, okay? Let's just say that either you've got sin problems or somebody else's sin has made problems for you and then you have problematic attitudes. In other words, life is problematic. Trials are sure to come. Count it all joy, my brother, when you meet various trials, it says in James, but you never liked that passage. Ever. And with Martin Luther, thought long and hard about whether James ought to be allowed in the canon. Because of that one verse. Problems kind of... Have you looked at the internet lately? I mean, it seems like some people have some problems. All over the world. You could, it's not just in Donetsk, Ukraine. It's not just ISIS. It's here in Moscow, and it's here in everybody's lives. And everybody's got these problems lying out on the surface of either their own creation, they are idiots, they made problems, and they kind of think of themselves as somehow kind of goth and noble because they've got problems. And they relabel it. You've heard me rag on the idea of being broken. You're not broken. You're busted. <laughs> Both meanings. You're a sinner. You're doing bad things. And you kind of run around because America, America God Almighty, is named America. And God Almighty in your life has told you that you have a perfectly good right, as long as there's not a rule against it, to design your life the way you want to, to feel what you feel, to be that special. And you have to take tests on the internet, right? Or in business situations where those little letters, I don't know what they are, but I think they mean something. Some of you know what I'm talking about. What are the letters? They're like four letters and they describe who you are. And you just, you, you preen yourself afterwards. You want to punch the introverts? Anybody want to punch the introverts? Because they are out there on the internet. You know, they're telling you, oh, we're really special, like superheroes. No, you're just a special sin. What do, we th what do we think we're doing? And, and then we wonder why the problems land on us. Why our marriages don't work out? Our kids rise up and want to you know, curse our name and leave? We wonder why uh, lives collapse around us. Now, you know I'm a big fan of wisdom. Um, and I have this passage right here at the top, Proverbs 1.1. Now, it kind of throws the whole wisdom card out there. Now, I want to say this, warning you about where that can go in our minds. But let's look at this. Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. That men may know wisdom and instruction, understand words of insight, receive instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity. That prudence may be given to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. The wise man also may hear and increase in learning, and the man of understanding acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's the noble statement of what we're about. You get into the book, first nine chapters of, of uh, Proverbs are, are on kind of this, a song of praise for what wisdom is versus folly, what it ought to be. Then it gets into the Proverbs proper, where you get you know, little quotables on, for refrigerator magnets. 
But look at the things that it offers us. Wise dealing. You know, there's, you read some Proverbs in the book of Proverbs that says, like, don't co-sign a check. Oh, wise dealing. Right? Let you know how to behave in business. You know, righteousness, justice, equity, prudence. Increase in learning. It fixes the youth. The youth are, you know, you know need, need it all. But the wise, even already, they increase in learning, acquire skill, understand what's going on with wisdom. But we have this view of wisdom that it's, it's like wisdom literature. You, if you've ever read the book of Proverbs, you know what wisdom literature is like. Or you read Ecclesiastes, or you read Ecclesiasticus and the Apocrypha, or you, you, know, you read various sayings of the ancients. You know what wisdom literature is like, and it's proverbial. It's almost designed to annoy others on Facebook. You, know, you, you, you find this great proverb that really resonates with you, and by resonates with you, it means it really points out the folly of others. And you then put it up on Facebook, and then you ask everybody else to share, because whoever agrees with this. We don't use wisdom that way in Christianity. The truisms and epigrams and, and, and proverbial things are, are handy, but, and, and so you know that some stick in your mind as, that's really good. You know, I like certain proverbs a lot, and I've spent a lot of my time in the proverbs, but I think there's a different approach to it than we are taking. Um, now, if you don't want to become this proverbial you know, uh, bank that, that you feel like, you know, here I am, I'm 60, and, and uh, uh, the, 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 the old dude that everybody goes to, and he, then he says something proverbial to you. you what do you, what, tell me, Mr. Wilson, what do you think about when I say something wise? That, that doesn't strike me as a great Christian life. You know, it, 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 it's, um, um, it doesn't seem like wisdom gets very far if it just becomes a, a way of slamming someone else on Facebook or a way of just having, uh, you know, again, truisms or, or epigrammatic uh, guides to life. There's something we have to dodge in that because it's kind of low. It doesn't make Christianity the amazing thing Christianity is. Now, you know that other ways of running your life, what's the other way? Say, you know, I'm, I'm more about wisdom, and so you're always quoting Proverbs. Other people, you know, the, the people with their jockey shorts and a twist, they want to be all about the law. You know, they, they like having copies of the Ten Commandments on their fridge to remind you. They like having copies of the Ten Commandments on the city square. I like the Ten Commandments. They're happy to see them. Uh, but there are some people who think the Christian life is the result of a good collection of rules and everybody being forced to do them. Their kids especially. And so they try to create cultures and schools and catechisms and, and, and demands and tyrannies to make you obey the rules. Well, we know from the teaching of the New Testament that's not the way the Christian life worked because sin shall have no dominion over you for you are not under law, you're under grace. Because we're not under law. Now, we dodged law by gr the grace of God in Christ. Something happened to you in Christ. This morning, we're not so concerned about law as we are about proverbial, the, the way you think about your life. Because remember the problems you have and the problems that are thrust upon you, that you are reacting poorly to, that is giving you all sorts of angst when you lie in bed and not able to go to sleep at night. All that is because, just like with the law, you're not in Christ. That's why the sermon is actually on Colossians 2. For I want you to know how greatly I strive for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged as they are knit together in love, to have all the riches of assured understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, of Christ, in whom are hid the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So as we listen to Solomon, he says, you know, if you get anything, get wisdom, get insight, figure things out. 
Why are you figuring things out? Well, because when you figure things out, you know how to use the power tools, right? The, you ever meet somebody, oh, I had this awful moment. Just one of those awful moments that when you're preaching and it just recurs to you, it embarrasses you again. This was 1986, 85 or 86. I was working at a newspaper and I had never worked at a newspaper. This is back before computers, okay? Those of you who, wow, he's that old. And you had to actually do overlays uh, to, for color specking any kind of advertisements uh, in the newspaper. And so if you wanted a, a green color, you would have your black and white image, then you'd do an acetate overlay with stuff called rubulus, which was a orange color that processed, forget it. Um, I didn't know how it worked. I, I, I sort of spotted the other designers, I was a graphic designer, and doing the tape, so I, I taped the acetate over, the clear acetate over, and then I proceeded to peel off chunks of rubolith off a sheet of rubolith, peeling it off, you know, you cut around it and then peel it off, and try to peel, paste it down on the clear acetate. Well, actually, it was already on acetate, and you're supposed to peel away what you're not using, and just leave what you, or you and they were, people were laughing at me, and really just uh, mocked in the process camera room, mercilessly. I did not know how to use the gear. I learned very quickly. Maybe some of you have done construction, you know, you see somebody who can't seem to figure out what a skill saw does, how to turn it on, how to use it, without cutting his own arm off. You know what that's like. Well, that's what, what we're facing, not that we don't have true Proverbs in the book of Proverbs or in Ecclesiastes, or or in the advice of your parents. Not that wisdom doesn't just sit out there all over the landscape. You find wisdom from non-Christians and Christians alike. But that's not what makes our problems. We're using the wisdom. We know wisdom straightens out the crooked. That's how you measure what the wise is. I've been meditating on this passage. I've shared it with you before, uh, but for the last few weeks has been uh, kind of big in my uh, mind, where Christ, speaking of John the Baptist and himself, and he says, but wisdom is known by all of her children. Wisdom is known by all of her children because wisdom has the good effect that God wants in all of her children. If the effects of God in your life are not there, you're not a, one of wisdom's children. No matter how many proverbs you quote or put on the fridge, if you don't, a proverb echoing in your brain does not straighten your life out. We have to recognize there's an end result the Lord wants out of you. So you know when you've got a problem. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be just a sin. You're a sinner and you... Others, you're a second-degree sinner when somebody else sins against you or problems arise or work goes really hard and you get stressed and, and, and you, you say unkind things to the wife. Or just the aroma around your house is kind of not what's described in Philippians or anywhere in the Bible. It smells like rot, people not getting along with each other, people fighting each other fits of rage. If you have got problems, you don't get to go around Christendom skipping like a lamb saying, oh, I'm just one of God's broken little special, you know, there's a short bus for us in Christianity that we get to ride because we're, we're all the broken people. Quit it. Stop it. The problem is you didn't go where wisdom was hidden. Knowledge was hidden. Because in Christ, the whole point here of Colossians is to understand, an assured understanding, verse uh, 2, and knowledge of God's mystery of Christ in whom are hid the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It, 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 it is again just, we've been Christians a while, most of you have been Christians a while. We've heard this kind of language before. It makes us feel good. But the reason wisdom is there in life is to straighten out the crooked. 
The reason it is there in Christ is in his grace and in a relationship with him, it actually straightens you out. Because you don't just have a piece of advice from Solomon, you have a Lord, a divine agent of power. It's not just the power of the saying, the Lord helps those who help themselves. A penny saved is a penny earned. Cleanliness is next to godliness, which it is. None of those are Bible, by the way. There's no power in the incantation of the wise saying. There's power in Jesus Christ. So when I go to him in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I'm trying to get to a place where, you know, your temptations to sin are sure to come, all right? People are going to be rat bastards to you in this world. But you've got to be able to get up in the morning and say, I am rejoicing in Jesus Christ. I don't care if it's my spouse that's being a pain. Or my kids. Or my boss. Or my, my health. Because the Lord expects me to rejoice in him always. You don't get an option. And that's what's nice about Proverbs, keeping them proverbial, is you can kind of for a moment disagree with the proverb. It's just a proverb. Right? It's just over here giving advice. It's not even sounding like a command. It's not even a command. Kind of optional. You love to keep your wisdom proverbial. You don't want to have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hid in somebody who has an opinion of you and has expectations of you and that you claimed to serve by being a Christian and you are proceeding not to. And he says this, verse 4, I say this, in order that no one may delude you with beguiling speech. Lest someone come along and recommend just proverbial living, or good advice, or you know, the world is filled with all kinds of people, and you know, bad stuff happens. Yeah, but the Lord said you have to rejoice always. The Lord said you have to love everyone. The Lord said you have to be patient. The Lord has given you every means of it, and your failure to do it is because you think incorrectly. That's what wisdom does. It straightens you out in your thinking. And when it's through Christ, when it's in him that are hid these things, all of the other systems of knowing, all the other systems of life that the world offers you, are beguilements to step away into something that's going to create a train wreck of your life. Look, I've been in, I'm a second generation pastor. My my, uh, uh, father has seen a lot of calamity in people's lives. He still sees it, and he's still taking counseling, and we've seen it. And we take counseling, which you're welcome to use. If you want to check in, say, I am a... I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, we'll talk. But the idea is to find in Christ the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To bring you to an assured understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. Because if you don't have an assured knowledge of that, assured, you're going to be believing someone else because your mind is not walking around empty. It's walking around with stupidity, you know, or just ignorance, or, or whatever the latest commercial taught you. You ever see commercials that are uniquely true? It's so, so refreshing. You get lied to so much, usually about glucosamine and chondroitin. But, um, but some commercials are just so wonderfully true. Or you, or you sense that they are. It's like it's a breath of fresh air. Your, your world is filled up with people trying to teach you beguiling speech to get you to define who you are. Well, first assure you that you're allowed to define who you are, that you're allowed to beat your little four letters and wear them with pride on a t-shirt and tell the world that everybody else is, you know, just not as good as whatever that is. We don't want that kind of Christianity. We want this kind of Christianity because this kind of Christianity, he says, doesn't want you deceived, beguiled away, 
For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Wouldn't it be nice to be that kind of Christian? That kind of church? I mean, we, I, I have a lot of respect for you guys. I mean, yeah, you know, pastors have got to kind of lean into the text a little bit. So you say, why are you always so mean to us? Um, well, you know, it's just one of those things. You, know, you have a pulpit to lean on. Your voice is amplified. The Bible's saying stuff. You get excited and you blame people. So just if you're righteous, just go, oh, thank God. This is not about me. I think I'll do Scrabble on my iPad. <laughs> now it's about you. Now we have, uh, we have this desire to have the kind of Christian life in you. In the morning when you roll, get a, and roll over, look at your wife and go, thank God another day with this woman. Thank God another day with my children. Not worried, not afraid, just rejoicing that the life God has given you because of the firmness of your faith. Assured understanding. Verse 6, as therefore you received Christ Jesus the Lord. So live in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's sort of central as a passage here this morning. Because, like I said, you are osmotically trained through commercials, billboards, your friends, popular shows, what you think is cool, um, you know, whatever set you're in might be kind of special theological, cultural weirdness that you got from your homeschool co-op. I don't care what it is. If it's wrong, if it's not Christ, What we're doing is we're trying to design life that we want so that, that's why you like law. That's why you like proverbial life and that's why you like law life. Is because the law list is a lot shorter than Christianity. Because the law list just says, I can't do that. Don't do that. Don't get drunk. Okay? Just, I think we all agree there, right? Don't get drunk. Passages like, do not be drunk as with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we know, we kind of think, okay, that. And every one of us would, you know, be aware of that. But we could design a whole life around booze. And I like booze. You could design a whole life around it, trying to fill in all the niches of your life based on alcohol. As long as you don't get drunk. And you wonder why your life's not working out. Not because alcohol is bad, but because you're thinking like a legalist. You're thinking like someone, I have to have a rule to not do things. Rather than saying to yourself, or have a proverb that suggests to me the wisdom, you say, no, as I received Christ, so live in him. So you, you came to Christ by faith, right? You, and it could be read in the same manner as you received him, or, well, by faith, or since you received him. Take your pick, how you're going to read it. Live in him. Be rooted in him. Be built in him. Be established in him. Now we're talking something far different than the set of rules that some church would be happy to give you. You are supposed to be Finding, because all the wisdom of life, all that is supposed to make you solve your problems, make you rejoicing even though you're going to the Colosseum for Jesus' name and you're going to die shortly, you can sing a hymn. Even though you're in chains in Philippi, you can sing a hymn. Even though nothing has worked out for you and you're poor, you have Christ. Because if I've been rooted, if I live, been rooted, and been built and established, just as I was taught, as I received him, and as I was taught, the Christian life, for all of the apostasy and the error out there in Christian history, thankfully Jesus Christ hasn't been tainted that much. I mean, you could look at 
maybe some, some wacky cults like you know, the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses, where they actually tamper with the nature of who Christ is. But for us, we can even look at churches we don't think are Christian and they still have a, the correct view of Jesus Christ. Jesus manages to keep his reputation, his resume is pretty good. We know who he is. And our wisdom has got to be found in him. Look at that in verse 6. So live in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Just as you were taught. Now, if you turn that into a set of rules, if somebody says, okay, Evan, could you jot down a few things that you think are, you might say, the active equivalent of being rooted in Christ or be living in Christ? What do you mean by that? Can I have a beer? Can it be a keystone? No, it can't be a keystone. Because no one's going to heaven who drinks and likes keystone. If you're doing it for the ministry, we'll consider it. But if you drink keystone, preferentially, or PBR because you think really rather too late that that's a cool thing to drink. Drink a good beer. But somebody, they want a list. They want a list. What am I allowed to do? No, you need to be in Christ. Because as you received him, well, maybe these are all you had. Your conversion itself was kind of came to church, joined the club, signed a card, walked the aisle, whatever you did. Okay, what do I have to believe? What do I have to do? Did you come to Jesus Christ? Did you hear the message of the gospel and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord? If you got there, that's, you've encountered that divine agent and you're supposed to live in him the same way. Walking up to him with this life, not pulling out another proverb from your little loaf thing that sits on your kitchen table. And so what, is, what happens? Christianity becomes priggish, proverbial, churchy sort of advice of how to live, or it becomes legalistic and tyrannical, and you know, everybody gets their knickers in a twist about it. And I, that's really unattractive. I don't know if you noticed how unattractive it is. Some of you maybe have really been to churches or grew up in churches like that. Um, and consequently, that kind of Christianity doesn't produce the one thing that you need, one of the big things you need, since Christ is a strain for you. You look, the Proverbs and the laws, at his pattern as being, what a buzzkill, but okay, if I want religion, I've got to do it. That's what I've got to be. I've got to go to this church, and I'll just... I'll find a church that gives me enough of that churchy piety thing going, and I'll keep some of those rules, and that'll make me feel reasonably well. But really, there's no, what shall we say, thanksgiving. Have you ever wondered, or you've heard the uh, passage out of, well, I have it actually here on the sign. When you, when you have these, when you design... Not only did you design a bad philosophy for your own life, listening, beguiling speech, and what your social professor told you as it was true, oh my gosh, really and honestly, what if she is God? Oh, what if there is no God? What if, I don't know, come up with nonsense? But otherwise, we're out there designing Christianity to be cheap and stupid and low and really a strain. You don't like it, there's no power in it, if you stayed in it, it's only because you couldn't think of a maybe really inventive way to get away from it and sin. Now, the difference about a proverbial religion and a law-based religion, those things end up being reposed in the institutions and then your respect or lack of respect for the institutions guides you, but when it's in Christ, when all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him, it's in someone. And in that someone that he says is the fullness of deity. You have found a God. Now that's not a God like you would play in some game that young people play sometimes that have 
gods, I guess. They have all sorts of powerful creatures that, that wage war and spells on each other. It's not kind of cheap god. It's not even the kind of noble, interesting god like Odin or Thor it's, or Apollo. It's the, the uncreated deity, the god. And when you're dealing with a god, any god, this applies to any god, you honor a god. Because if you don't think, just, just check yourself, run the dipstick in and say, do I, do I think of honoring God at all? Does that even come natural to me? Do I have all sorts of barriers against singing his praises of a Sunday morning, let alone singing them to myself in the shower? Do I have a high view of his desire for me that is easily, far and away, more important than my own, preferable to my own, then you might not have a god. You might have, again, some religion that has a little cardboard cutout of a god that you control, that you get to design your own life. But when you have a god, you believe he's a god, and that God has given you something pretty major as you received him, the grace he gave you, the forgiveness he gave you, uh, they generally say thank you. You know the difference, you know, when grandma gives you socks at Christmas. Thanks, grandma. But somebody who cares for you, somebody who looked at your list, and gives you that new set. Well, I guess kids still play with Legos. I don't know. Do they? The right new set of Legos, which I guess are gender-free now. You can, you can play with Legos even if you're a girl, which I think is an offense against all that is civilized. But, because girls can make, well, my daughter made Legos, didn't she? Probably, not really well. But say someone gives you that new, really expensive set of Legos. They want the big boxes. You don't have to tell a little kid to thank your grandma then. They're throwing themselves into the lap of grandma, pouring kisses on her upturned face, and thanking her profusely. Oh, thank you, grandma. This is just what I wanted. The socks, not so much. You get socks from grandma because she knows you always need socks. So, where's the honor? Where's the thanksgiving? Because right there at the end, abounding in thanksgiving in verse 7. Abounding in thanksgiving. As you received him, live in him, rooted in him, built in him, established in him, as Christianity has taught you, abounding in thanksgiving. You know what abundance meant? We were over at somebody's house last night for dinner, and there was abundant food. We talked about abundance. Not one of these fancy restaurants where there's just a little, you know, there's abundance. You know how you go to some cafes, the food really, 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 Leslie was in Hamilton, Montana yesterday, and, and they'd been out to dinner at some Hamilton House restaurant, don't mean to speak ill of the actual place, but the food was awful, but there was a lot of it. And some people, that's their measure, right? I measure, not taste, abundance. God is looking for abundance. You ought to be looking for abundance. Because you're supposed to be abounding in thanksgiving, recognizing what you've been given in Christ. Well, you say, I don't have been given much in Christ. Well, because you haven't been living as you received him. You haven't been rooted in him. You haven't been built in him. You haven't been established in him. I don't know what you're doing with your free time, but if the commercials designed your philosophy of life, probably too much TV. And not enough of the word of God. Now, abounding in thanksgiving changes something. You begin to understand why your life has problems. Romans 1, verse 20, ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely, his eternal power and deity, have been, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they came futile in their thinking, 
and their senseless minds were darkened. The reason you have problematic problems, not that you have trials, trials are sure to come, temptations are sure to come, but you know the difference between a problem with them, I've got problems, but it's not problematic. The reason there are problematic situations and when you struggle either over your own sin or over what the sin of others has done in your life and the angst and the, and the, and, and, and the worry and the fear that you may carry with you is because you have been given over to the futility of your own minds. That's all you've got left, a life designed by commercials. And then in the commercials, the families are always so perfect. They're always rejoicing. They're always getting along. If it's that kind of family, you know, where they're supposed to be selling you something that a positive family experience, I think Subaru is big on that. Um, but then there are others where just the husband is an idiot. The futile thinking, senselessness, we're not just beguiled by someone stepping into our life and teaching you a false doctrine. You're beguiled by not even picking up Christianity as it was supposed to be picked up. The Christ that was supposed to be pursued, because in him all the wisdom and knowledge was available to you. And just the emptiness of the not doing anything, it just slowly stuff trickled in, filled it up with whatever combination of weird inconsistent thinking. It's futile, it's senseless, and then later it tells you what sins in Romans 1 come of that, because you've got, you got no Christianity going on. See to it, verse 8, that no one makes prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. This is actually very specific. You could apply it broadly, but it's very specific about what he's warning the Colossians about. This. The elemental spirits are the stoicheion, and the stoicheion are the, 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 the primary building blocks of the world, princi world principles based in celestial bodies, okay, like planets. Like an astrology, but fancier than the sort of the dumb newspaper astrology of today. These were broad, very developed philosophies of what made the world work. Earth, air, fire, and water. Those were part of what you can call the stoicheia, the elementals. He says, see to it that you don't, nobody makes prey of you by this. It's not banning thinking about stuff when it says, makes prey of you by philosophy and empty deceit, and so, you know, rock-ribbed Christians who are just going to live by their Sunday school quarterlies and suspicious of anyone who thinks about an issue or has a philosophy. This is not a ban on philosophy. It's philosophy and deceit that is based on a human tradition, specifically belief in the stoicheia. That's the elementals. And, in specific, basing it on something else and not basing it on Christ. Look at that, red, red there. According to the elemental spirits and not according to Christ. Well, if we're getting at anything this morning, we're getting at where are you gone for the wisdom and knowledge that's going to straight out, straighten out the moral and folly problems of your life. You better go to Christ. You better be in accord with Christ. You better like what Christ says. You better not even think about going, you know, I don't really think Christ was right about that. Or I don't like who Jesus appointed as apostles because, you know, I don't like what St. Paul says or Peter or whatever. I don't like that. What's your view of Jesus Christ? Do you like him on the dashboard? But not filling you up with the wisdom and knowledge. The reason it has to be according to Christ, verse 9, for in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now this is, this is deeper than we have time for, but just like the stoicheion, the elementals are there in the text. It's mentioned in Galatians as well, a little later in this chapter. But this is the fullness of deity. The word is pleroma, which was the, the kind of the buzz phrase of early pre-Gnosticism. They were looking for the fullness, the pleroma. And Paul's going, <laughs> hitting on the side of the head, 
Christ is the fullness. He is more full. He is full of deity. And you have come to the pleroma of life, the fullness of life in him. Not only is he it, but you're it in him. Who is the head of all rule and authority? I put that in there, in red, because that's key. The first chapter of of Colossians that we didn't read, when it talks about Christ being the center of all, the centerpiece of creation, and people read it as, you know, he made all the bunnies. In chapter 1 it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And then he lists them. He doesn't list bunnies. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, that's what he lists. He lists things that are essentially the elemental spirits of the universe. The primary source. The people went back and started designing their life according to other things, not according to Christ. You say, well, I haven't even heard of the Stoichaeon before this morning, so it's not likely I've designed my life in accordance with them. Well, you ask yourself, do I have other first principles that are as wrong? Just think about it for a moment. I occasionally say, not only do you not have a right to your handgun, you don't have a right to anything. People go, what? Didn't John Locke say? Yeah, but St. Paul didn't. You don't have rights. But, but America said, I know. You have your own, own stoichaean. You have your own sense. Independence is a virtue, right? Because it was, gold darn it, the war of independence. What do you believe? What do you think the world is like? You're supposed to back up and say, hold it, I believed in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and as I received him, I ought to be living in him, and rooted in him, and built in him, and established in him, thanking him for what is, because when if I don't thank him and if I don't honor him, I'm going to be given up to futile thinking and my life is going to be problems front to back. Some you won't get to enjoy until later when your kids grow up. It needs to be Christ. It doesn't need to be you. You don't have the right to be what you are. Check. Find out is it what Christ designed for, well, I'm just not kind of a happy person. Well, I'm sorry, you're in disobedience to the living God. He may gave you a path to love and right rejoicing and and being patient with others. You don't get to say, I don't I'm just not a patient person, or I just get angry. I'm sorry. I didn't write this. None of us wrote this. That's the blessing of it. It's in Christ, and we are being conformed to his image. In him, verse eleven. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. You have tracked with Jesus Christ in your life. You have died. You've been cut off from your body. You've been raised in baptism. Or buried with him, here is buried with him in baptism, raised through faith in God. You, who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In Christ, as you find Christ, as you pursue what it is to be in him, and as the apostles appealed to being in him throughout, the phrasing in him, in the beloved, this keeps on going on through the New Testament. Find your way to that, because the things that you struggle with, this is the beginning point. Have you bowed the knee? Whatever it is. Have you bowed the knee? And are you designing your life, not saying that the way I am is just fine because it doesn't break any of the rules, 
Well, that's what we're going to discover later on. How many of the rules do you want to break and do you get to break and you end up breaking or your kids end up breaking because it wasn't Christ. You were protecting you. You weren't protecting the living God. Whatever life you have is a result of the Lord's you serve. I, I don't know how it could be you could miss that. The result you have, the faith you have, you live. If you have a different faith lived than your Christian claims, I'd go back and ask whether or not you have the faith of Christ. Did you pursue it? Did you pick it up? The other lords that, that are existent in our lives, these false doctrines, these stoicheion, these personal advancements of what you want to be and what America wants to give you, um, they're not as big on being recognized or thanked. You don't have to go thank Marxism. You know, Marxism doesn't care. Don't thank secular materialism. It's nowhere to be thanked. You don't thank self-absorption and Apple. Well, maybe Apple, you have to thank them. At least pay them. God wants to be thanked. He is a Lord that because he's responsible for this creation and he made this creation, this matters to him. He loves this creation. You've got various things you need to check. I have a list of things here. For some of you, you designed yourself in seventh, eighth grade, middle school, according to what the cool kids were after. Or some of you figured out what your major was going to be because there was money at the other end and materialism, and now you have 17 jet skis and you don't know why. You know, you, you can afford them, or other people, you know, they're not in this great McMansion, you know, in the burbs with your jet skis and everything's right. You got a big Tahoe to drive to Tahoe to do what you do and have the fun you want to have because you can afford it. Some people, it's a sad old woman with a house full of newspaper and inability to resist anything on Home Shopping Network. It's materialisms. You're designing a life deceived made prey of um, some beguiling speech, but not Jesus Christ. Remind yourself, not just when you hit your thumb with a hammer, that Jesus Christ lived. You, you, have, a, you have a Lord. Stop, whatever your life is, if it's a problem, it's because you have reasons for that problem. It just wasn't, problems were not foisted on you. Sin exists in the world because everybody is designing their own life and worshiping themselves and worshiping these artificial gods that they've put up. And sometimes it's in Christian circles. It's not just the passionate problem people who have hoarding problems. It's people who are, no offense to the Lutherans, but Luther. Or pick another famous Christian leader. Instead of our Lord, it's Lewis, or Jacob Arminius, or John Calvin, or John Piper, or somebody famous these days. Well, he is famous these days, isn't he? Or it could be some notion about human psychology you picked up from Carl Jung or Freud, until you analyze everything not knowing you're Freudian, or not knowing your, your old school, good classical education, you're a Platonist. You don't know. You haven't checked. But it's not according to Christ. It could be just your mom. Your mom could have done this damage to you. God bless her. She meant well. She's good with cookies. But she maybe designed a view of your universe that's just flat out wrong. Just wrong. Damagingly wrong. Hellishly wrong. Your father could do the same. My dad taught me. Shut up. What did Jesus teach you? What did Jesus? Well, my dad taught me that I just stand up for myself on the playground and I got to. What did Jesus say? Something different, I imagine. 
But I don't want to do that. I know you don't want to do that. And I'm not going to tell you it's a rule. It's the way people are who love Jesus Christ. So, you're going to still be a good American on the playground? Or are you going to be like Christ? Because our Christ, verse 15, it says, He disarmed the principalities and powers and made public example of them, triumphing over them in Him. He has taken on all of these claims of the better life that you're designing. You might not be into the principalities and powers like ancient pagan minds were, but you're into your own principalities. You've designed your life, now you're wondering why as a Christian you've got problems. You've got to doubt everything you believe. You've got to doubt everything you think you serve. You've got to look at it and go, have I pursued Jesus Christ in this? Have I found the wisdom in him? And by believing the world that he believes, that's the reality. Because the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in him. And you have come to fullness of life in him. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Draw each of us to you and your son. Help us design, measure, be rooted, be built, be established in the things your son taught and asks of us that we would understand our own lives. We would find the joy that you offer regardless of the pain of this life or the reward of this life. We can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. That is the secret of contentment, Lord. It's the secret of peace. And we'd ask that each of us here would drop what we're doing and pursue your son. And in his name we pray. Amen.